Good to see everybody this morning. Notice how it's warming up. I think it was, well, it was 32 early this morning, and that's uh, considerably better than we've, uh, we've had in the recent days. Well, today we're moving into uh, uh, chapter 7 of Frame's book and uh, uh, entitled uh, Transcendence and Eminence of God. Um, just to remind you of where we are, uh, this is uh, chapter 7. Then we're going to take a few weeks off from this series and move to a different series that's a, a video-led series, um, Calvinism and the Christian Life, I think is the name of the series. Who's it by, Blake? I Ian Hamilton. So uh, I think I've been told. I don't know much about it, but I bet it's a. I bet it's a good one. So it should be very, uh, very interesting. We've been going at this for uh, some five weeks now, and uh, of course we we make progress along the way. So uh, thinking thinking about the doctrine of God, the um, circle I put there on the left, it, it's a big, big area. There's a lot to cover. What I wanted to depict on here, we've been working at it, and I've been really blessed uh, by what we've been learning, and I know you have too. On the right, the, the black pie that I show there is how much we've gotten of the total that there is. You see it? It's pretty thin. <laughs> yeah, I didn't put anything on there. We, we, <laughs> we uh, no matter how hard we try, God is so infinite. There's so much to Him. There's a lot there, and we've learned a lot and been blessed by it, but we're just really scratching the surface of the Almighty, of, of understanding the Almighty. And, you know, the good news is we got... All eternity to try to get that pie to turn black a little bit, where we can make make our way around. So that's the, that's the good news. So anyway, we're we're really uh, getting going on this. So as we get started, let's uh, have a word of prayer. Almighty God, we thank you for this uh, uh, brief time that we have this morning. Um, Lord, we know that you uh, have a lot for us uh, to learn about you. We're uh, discussing just a little piece of understanding your lordship today and I pray that you will indeed teach us what you have for us open our our minds Lord I ask that you protect us from error give us understanding into your word Uh, pray these things in Christ's name amen okay uh, we've been looking at this uh, the the idea of lordship and and so forth for the last several weeks Uh, Frame's viewpoint of that uh, was is different. Was at least different to me. I really hadn't looked at it from the way that he's approached this first uh, first six chapters and on into seven. Um, however, the concept of of God's relationship to man's not a new not a new subject. And and uh, today we're going to look at take a brief look at, at a more traditional uh, way of thinking about this this subject. So that's that's what transcendence and eminence are more common terms. <clears throat> that are used to uh, to discuss this. <clears throat> Excuse me. 
I might have to try it. Lozenge. Are there some of those cough drops back there? Susie, would you? Oh, we've got a, somebody helping us here. Sorry about that. <clears throat> um, let's try to provide a little bit of definition of, of transcendence. Thank you, sir. <clears throat> of transcendence. Um, you can <clears throat> easily find these terms, um, you know, as you look into references. MacArthur's, uh, <clears throat> MacArthur's understanding of uh, transcendence, it's, it is hard to define exactly. MacArthur says God's otherness, his separateness uh, from the creation and the human race. Uh, Grudem gives a little more extensive discussion of it in the reference that I had that the teaching of Scripture about the relationship between God and creation is unique among the religions of the world. The Bible teaches that God is distinct from His creation. He is not part of it, for He has made it and rules over it. Transcendence means that God is far above the creation in the sense that He is greater than the creation and He is independent of it. So... I just want to remind you that these these terms are not biblical terms. We're we're making definition around words that aren't much like words like Trinity and so forth. Uh, not a, not biblical terms. So we do need to be a bit careful when we get into that. But transcendent definitely uh, refers to the Most High or the One who dwells above. So transcendence often invokes language of God's majesty and His holiness. Does that sound familiar? Uh, it often represents metaphors of height as well. I think maybe I skipped one. Yeah, height as well. Um, a couple of couple of verses, Deuteronomy four thirty nine. Now therefore today, and lay it in your heart that the Lord is God in heaven above. And on the earth beneath, there is no other. Psalm 8.1, O Lord our God, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. So God is transcendent, majestic above us. We are to exalt Him, uh, to attribute to Him the highest status, royal dignity, and kingship. We've discussed the last few weeks the idea of the kingship. Psalm 57, 5, Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. For you, O Lord, are most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. Psalm 113, 5 and 6, Who is like the Lord our God, who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth. Finally, Psalm 123.1. To you I lift up my eyes, O, o you who are enthroned in the heavens, the majestic Lord, the King, enthroned in heaven. Think of that as transcendence. Quoting Frame, He is exalted, not mainly as someone living far above the, far beyond the earth, but as one who sits on a throne. The expressions of transcendence refer to God's rule, His kingship, and His lordship. We think of God 
as transcendent and he's overall. We, we, we have to deal a little bit, and this is kind of a sidebar, dealing with God's physical location. Um, you know, there are references in the scripture of, of, of God, of course, being in heaven. We, we see God at different times. He manifests himself throughout the Old Testament in many places. Um, burning bush is one. Uh, uh, coming into the, the presence in the temple after the temple was constructed. His holiness came in there like a cloud. Um, there, there are other places. And certainly the manifestation of Jesus Christ walking on earth is God's manifestation of him here. So there's, there's physical reality to that. Um, but we also need to keep in mind that God is not a physical being, um, though, though he does manifest himself sometimes physically. He is omnipresent, so references to physical locations must, must be viewed um, you know, accordingly, that these both omnipresent and there's physical manifestations of it. Um, frame helps with this, I believe, in the book. Helped, helped me understand it a little bit. We'll try those. God is not a physical being except through incarnation. And since he is omnipresent, it is metaphorical to speak of him as living in any place or any particular direction from where we are. Frame again. Scripture does refer to a real place, real place called heaven, in which the presence of God is found at its greatest intensity. And because that place is not on earth, it is properly represented as above, since really all directions away from earth are above, the way we look at it. And remember, because of his omnipresence, we can't limit him to that place. It is not biblical, therefore, to interpret God's transcendence to mean merely that he is located far away in heaven. Does that help any? Anybody ever get confused about these things? I do, but it helped me at least a little bit. So, okay, so now we've thought about transcendence, dealt a little bit with location, transcendence. Any, anybody want to bring something up before we move on to eminence? There is no place he isn't. That is true. Yep. Which is eminence. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Eminence. In some ways, I think eminence is a little bit easier to get our brains around. When, when you think transcendence, it just gets bigger and bigger and further and further and more wide, widespread. Eminence, some, somewhat, at least to me, is easier to understand. MacArthur defines it, God's presence and activity within the creation and in human history. Uh, Grudem, uh, God remaining in creation. So God's activity remaining in creation. Not limited to that, but remaining in it. Um, Frame, eminence refers to God's nearness, His presence on earth, especially with His people. It stresses his involvement with human affairs. 
few verses related to that. Deuteronomy 4.39 should be familiar. We just read it a second ago. It's funny how some verses are both hit at his transcendence and his eminence, and this is one of them. Know therefore today and lay it to your heart that the Lord is God in heavens above and on the earth beneath. There is no other. Deuteronomy 10, 14 and 15, Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Yet the Lord said in his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples as you are this day. God chose a people to be part of. Joshua 2.11 And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. And there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, He is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Finally in Isaiah 57.15 For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. So especially those that are lowly, God manifests his presence. Anybody ever experienced that? Hard times come, sadness, heartbreak. Sometimes that's when God is we feel the most present uh, are with us. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So for the for the recording, uh, Dennis referenced Psalm one thirty eight six, and I let those of you who are listening to the recording look that up. Uh, great verse. Okay. So. Um, with since we're using terminology that's really not biblical, there's there's sometimes um, a danger of taking those words too far. Um, there are other words I mentioned. Trinity, you can you can use that word, and there's been error in in in, uh, in the doctrine of the Trinity. Or some other words that could be cert- certainly one you could. We'll probably be studying the next few weeks. Calvinism. You just use that word, and it can mean a lot of things to different people, and uh, and there are many others that 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 uh, are very helpful. They're very helpful to understand things, and you have to have them. You have to have a language with which to talk about things. But there is danger when we just think on those terms alone. So there's there's some dangers that are brought up, and we have that when we have terminology, we have the risk of error. Um, and we're going to first look at, at some errors that have occurred um, from thinking on the term transcendent. Um, I've uh, wondered for several weeks why uh, Blake would ask me to teach this class part-time. And uh, when I compare... You'll see real quickly when you compare my ability to draw diagrams up there to Ken's and Blake's, it's pretty obvious. It, it sets them apart, and, and, and that's where they ought to be. Um, 
Anyway, I, I do my best, but I did have some fun here, and probably these diagrams won't help very much, but it was kind of fun putting them together. Um, you think of God's transcendence, looking at this diagram, we have God, what I intended to portray here is it's God's overall, and His realm extends to all things, both outside the universe and time, and including universe and time. His, his interaction, His he, he controls it all. What's in, in, um, in the world and not in the world, God is over all things. If you think about God's transcendence, pushing it too far would be what I hope this helps, is there's a dividing line. <clears throat> God is up there. He's big, but there's a bar between us. There's a wall. Oh, that's a bad word today. Uh, uh, the barrier a curtain, um, but between us and him, between the creation and him, and there's not communication, there's not control, okay? So the idea of God being that transcendent, if you think of that, that's obviously an error. And Frame deals with some of these. Um, he, he, he's out there. He, he's not knowable. Um, so... Frame, frame says that the, the Greeks uh, influenced the early church. I believe it. I, I can't argue the point one way or the other. Uh, but Gnostics, in, infecting the early church, said, and this is a quote, for the creature of the highest God was absolutely unknowable and unattainable. He was unknown depth, ineffable, Eternal silence. Okay. So when somebody says, can you know God? What's our answer? He's there. He's not silent. Yes, we can know the creator of the world. It's incredible. Can we know all of him? No. We, don't, we can't grasp that. But we can know him, and he does communicate with us. Um, the idea of uh, transcendence can lead to the ideas held by deists. God is out there, but he is removed, aloof, and not involved in creation. In other words, he's not imminent. Okay, so you see the difference between a deist and a Christian or a deist and even Jew. He's out there. And I've heard things like they say he created the world, wound it all up, and let her go. And he's still out there, but he's not winding the clock again. He's not fixing the clock. Um, not involved in creation. So that's, that's an idea that can come from there. So frame, uh, oh, modern theology. Um, uh, modern theology is putting God too far removed leads to the idea of an unknowable God and questions of the sufficiency of Scripture. And then Frame quote, Abolishing God's involvement in history grants sovereignty to finite forces, deifying them. Boy, does this ever speak to our time. Man's intellect becomes the ultimate authority in determining truth, and natural law becomes the ultimate cause of events in nature and history. 
Okay. Any questions about these errors? And there could be others. Okay. So. Oh, really? So Aristotle considered creation as very small and an, and an accident almost? Wow. Okay. Yep. Okay. Other thoughts about Blake? Yes. Oh, very good. Very good. Anybody else? Okay, so we've discussed a little bit. I refer you to Frame's book. He has a little bit more discussion. He has quite a bit more discussion in it in his book if you want to know more about these errors. And then he also references several references that you could follow through if you want to do that. It's, it's probably blatantly obvious. I'm skating on ice about... I, I know about this much of a topic that's this big. and so. Uh, but anyway, you can reference Frame there if you'd like. So we've looked at the, the errors that caused by the concept of transcendence. And there's nothing wrong, again, in talking about God being transcendent. We just have to keep in mind what the Bible has to say about that. The other side is errors of eminence. Tell me how great that is. I mean, I moved circles, the whole deal. It's just pretty good. You'd be surprised how long that took me. Um, and God went to little God. I don't know if you noticed. There's some pretty cool things on there. Um, anyway, eminence gets God and, and the cre- creature too close together and maybe even overlap a little bit uh, if you look at it that way. It's not, he's not transcendent overall. There's some things that affect him. He's in, he's in the creature in a way. <clears throat> if you push it even further, the, the universe, the creation's part of God. And so there's, there's an influence there. And so we'll talk specifically about... Um, uh, some of these errors. So this, the error regarding eminence is uh, you can lead to the idea of, of placing too much importance on creation and the creature. Of course, uh, pantheism is an example of the error. Um, the world itself, in pantheism, the world itself becomes divine. So the things of the world become the God or the gods, um, it, the world is its own ultimate cause and the ultimate authority for thought. Um, now, Frame also uh, references modern uh, process theology and puts a name on it, pantheism. Anybody ever heard of that before, read this book? Really? not sure I'd be the only one or one of the few. I'd never heard of it. The world is, is, the world is in God, pantheism. And it's also known to, at least frame references it, as modern uh, process theology. Frame, quoting, in the process view, we are ourselves constituents of God's consequent nature, and we therefore influence His nature, decisions, and actions. This view gives powers to creatures that Scripture ascribes to God alone. So if you're thinking back to my, maybe I can go back, it's that. It's inside God and influences God. You know, way off when we think about that, but certainly there are many um, ascribing to something like that. Now, Frame has quite a bit more discussion on that too, and I'll refer you to Frame, and then I'll try to answer Roxanne question or do you have a comment okay 
I wondered about that. I saw that in Grudem's quote, and I wondered if, if there was... I, what I looked at with Grudem was just in one book of Grudem. I bet he doesn't hold to that, but that was definitely in his definition. That's a good, very good catch. Yeah. I, I, I wouldn't necessarily agree with Grudem's definition there. That's how I took it. I, I think if he was pushed, he would, he would not hold to that. But Dennis? Yeah. Uh, did you hear that he was wondering where open theism fits into that? I don't know very much about that. To me, it was together. Process and open meant the same thing to me. Does anybody have any distinction there? And there's there's such a thing going on out there. A... Oh, okay. So for the recording, open theism pushes against the idea of God's control. I just don't know if there is a distinction between that idea and modern theism. Seem to be uh, the same. Oh, okay. Okay. Anybody else? Yeah, the comments that pantheism seems like the philosophy of today uh, and the concepts of evolution. We we see it in all aspects. Environmentalism can be taken that far. Um, I'm not against taking care of our earth, but it can be pushed too far. Uh, Tom? Yeah, so pantheism taken taken as a religion, the 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 earth, the, the creation speaks to the people in, in that. Yeah, pretty scary. All right. Um, transcendence and eminence and lordship attributes. Um, what, what we've been looking at today is what Frame refers to as traditional um, descriptions of God's interaction um, a relationship to the world. And Frame in this chapter, is, I, I think, is basically making the case that he believes the concept of, concept of lord, lordship attributes is a better way of re- referencing God's relationship. Be, and I think because it helps eliminate some of these errors that occurred. So now we're going to have a pop quiz ready? Usually, if you like me, they just have to put pop quiz up there and I can't remember anything. wouldn't matter. But this is pretty easy. What are the lordship attributes that we've been talking about for the last five weeks? Authority. Authority. And I heard something else out there. Authority and control. So the authority of God the control of God and His presence. Boy, this is, this is one excellent class. I wish I had candy to throw to everybody. Um, yeah, you got the correct answer. Didn't you get candy in school when you got the correct answer? I never did either, but it wasn't because they weren't giving out candy. Um, <laughs> yeah, I had... I had a meeting, those of you don't know, I do CASA, so sometimes I go to the schools with the CASA kids, and they had, they, did I tell you this? They had, a, had a, they said that this, they have a check mark. They go through all these reviews of how the kid's doing in school, and they go through there, and one of them was, do, did they have specialized seating or not? And that meant if they're 
what, what was underneath that is if they were misbehaving in class, they had specialized seating. And I told them, I didn't realize I often had specialized seating. <laughs> I, got to, I got to sit right by the teacher, and, and, uh, and I didn't know they reported to the principal that they had given specialized seating. It was really good. Okay, so you all got it, got it right. I adjusted the triangle a little bit, but we have God's control over all things. The Lord, the King of the universe, has control. And in the treaty he makes with us, he says, I've got authority. I've got control. I've got authority. And by the way, I'm present. The covenant presence of God. Just as reminders, reminder verses on control. Deuteronomy 32, 39. See now that I, even I, am He, and there is no God beside me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal, and there is none that can deliver out of my hand. Psalm 135, 6. Whatever the Lord pleases, He does in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all the deeps. God has control. We've been hammering at that for a few weeks, and it's true. It's fundamental foundation of what we're going to be looking at for the rest of the year. And you all have got it. That's good. Reminders on authority. Psalm 24, 1 and 2. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein, for he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Exodus 22 and 3, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You have no other gods before me. He's in authority. And finally, just a reminder verse on His covenant presence. I don't know that there's any better verse than this, verses than this. One thirty-nine, Psalm 139, 7-10. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. So if we think of the covenantal triad, frame making his case, so the transcendence of God is best understood not primarily as a spatial concept but as a reference to God's kingship. God's transcendence means that He is sovereign over His creatures. And as we have seen, God's kingship can be further analyzed into the three lordship attributes. If, therefore, we are to use the language of transcendence and eminence, it would be best to use transcendence for God's royal control and authority and eminence for His covenant presence. So, if we look at the diagram again, if you diagram it like this, the same as before, the control, the authority, and the presence of God. 
authority and control being his transcendence and the presence being his eminence. It makes some sense looking at it like that. Uh, I tend to think that, that he's right. It's, it's a better way of defining it in a sense if we understand those things. Now, error can be made no matter how you draw pictures and so forth, but it seems to be better. What, what do you think? That, is this a better, his way, a better way of looking at it? Or? Both uh, transcendence and eminence on all three? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's all it's all three. That that's right. But I think what he's pushing for is the idea of transcendence is the kingship thing. That he's in authority and control. That king's decided to be eminent and involved. I think that's the concept he's he's pushing, but but he's got those things. So that's the transcendence is the authority and control. Roxanne? Your questions are always harder, so I want to get to yours. Yeah, I don't, and, and that's why I like, Blake, you, you created this triangle, didn't you? Did, or did that come out of the book? Yours was a little different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If, you don't, if you don't get the idea of kingship in there. Yeah, and, uh, this chapter? Oh, okay, yeah, okay. Anybody else? Rob? Mm, that's interesting. Yeah, the errors lead all, all sorts of places. As we discussed earlier with the deists, you know, they have great God, he's just separate. And that's an error, and it, it uh, doesn't, he doesn't matter then. Yep, Blake? Go ahead, Blake. Yeah, I think, I think you're right. I think you're right. Gaiman? Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, it's hard to reconcile to understand it in, in our minds, but it's also the the thought of the miraculous nature of God's love. If miraculous, miraculous might not be the the infinite nature of God's love, He could be transcendent in control of all and not choose His covenant presence with us. He could have. But he didn't. I don't know why. Can't explain. But Bobby's got his hand up, so I better let him. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Sufficiency thereof that communication. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. Okay, Ken. You you can't take all fifteen minutes. I know you can, but you're not allowed to. Yeah. Yeah, who was it said we need to put the term, both terms on all of it? Was that Art? I don't remember who. Dennis. Okay. Yeah. 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 You, you will hear 
as, as you go on, you're going to hear the terms transcendent and imminent. And he's trying to frame. <laughs> that was a play on words. He's trying to help us understand that in, in the correct way. Sure does. Okay. Um, I don't know if y'all are like this. Some, some of you are car people and you notice cars all the time. I, don't, I know there's at least a couple of them in here that do that. I don't tend to do that. I just kind of go my day and see things. And, and uh, then, But when I get ready to buy a car or I've just bought a car, what happens? You start seeing your car everywhere. You ever notice that? You just go out and start looking for a car, Volkswagen, whatever it is, and you say, there's, a, there's one, there's one, there's one. They're everywhere. I, I assume they all of a sudden just appeared because I wasn't aware of it before. And uh, it's kind of like this with this concept for me. The last few weeks we've been thinking about lordship attributes. And I read scripture and I say, whoa, there's the lordship attributes right there. And so what I'm going to do is spend the rest of our time just going through a few passages of scripture. So get your Bibles out. Uh, I, I kind of picked one that might, Think about what the Lordship attributes in our prayers. Another one just in our, our daily walk as we might, and we can go through a psalm, our daily walk, how we might see those things as we read the scriptures. And then finally, a, a passage on our eternal hope that has to do with uh, Lordship attributes. The first one is Second Chronicles 6, uh, 12 through 42. It's a long passage. We'll read a lot of it. Um, but we will skip part of it and skip through part of it to get, get on through. I'll read a section, and what I want you to do is, as you see that, as you read this, I want you to be trying, observing and finding where lordship attributes show up, which one of these attributes show up, maybe both in particular. We'll, we'll pause, interact, and then we'll read another part of it and keep going. Okay? Fair enough. Oh, this the context of this is right after Solomon built the temple. And he was this is his prayer of dedication after the temple was built. Okay? Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands. Solomon had made a bronze platform five cubits long, five cubits wide, and three cubits high, and had set it in the court, and he stood on it. Then he knelt on his knees in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands towards heaven and said, O Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven or on earth, keeping covenant and showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all their heart, who have kept with your servant David my father what you declared to him. You spoke with your mouth and with your hand have fulfilled it this day. Okay, I'm going to pause there. What did you see? Did any of the covenant... Brenda? Yeah, okay. So he's... Who? He's the king. Okay, what else do you see? Yeah, very, very present with his people. Solomon sees that, doesn't he? 
Ah, good point. Yeah, right. Okay, so it talks about this, this steadfast love, him keeping his covenant. Uh, to his people, you know, one's of David, to his people. So it's just, it's there. It's like you're going to buy a new Honda, and the Hondas are everywhere. It's there. So here it is in Solomon's prayer. Now, therefore, O Lord, God of Israel, keep for your servant David, my father, what you have promised him, saying, You shall not lack a man to sit before me on the throne of Israel. If only your sons pay close attention to their way, to walk in my law as you have walked before me. Now, therefore, O Lord, God of Israel, let your word be confirmed, which you have spoken to your servant David. But will God indeed dwell with man on earth? Behold, the heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, how much less this house that I have built. Yet have regard to the prayer of your servant and to his plea, O Lord my God, listening to the cry and to the prayer that your servant prays before you, that your eyes may be opened, may, may be opened day and night toward this house, the place where you have promised to set your name, that you may listen to the prayer that your servant offers toward this place. I'll pause there. What did you see? Yes. Right, yeah. 18, hard to get bigger transcendence than that. And there's probably other places. Rob? He keeps the covenant. He keeps the covenant, doesn't he? Yep. Yep. Blake? Don't you think that Solomon saw the cloud fill the temple? But he's still saying, I, I saw him there, but he's bigger than that. <laughs> he's bigger. He's bigger. He can't get, this can't contain you. I know that. Yeah. Great. Okay, we best move on. Uh, 21. And listen to the pleas of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place. And listen from heaven your dwelling place. And when you hear, forgive. If a man sins against his neighbor and is made to take an oath and comes and swears his oath before your altar in this house, then hear from heaven and act and judge your servants, repaying the guilty by bringing his conduct on his own head and vindicating the righteous by rewarding him according to his righteousness. You see stuff in there too? Yeah. Yeah, eminence is there? Absolutely. It's, it's all over the place. Now this, this passage goes along. I'm not going to read it always. If you're... Your people are defeated. This is 24. Your, if your people are Israel are defeated, then in 25, hear from heaven. Right there on earth, hear from heaven and act. When heaven is shut up and there is no rain, in verse 26 and then verse 27, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin. God's authority is over the earth and he's asking them to act. Uh, Boy, it, it just keeps going like that. If there's famine in the land, then he asks them to hear the prayer. If there, that's verse 28, 32. If a foreigner comes in and comes, hear from heaven, your dwelling place. Let's jump down to 40 and just finish with 40 through 42. Now, O oh my God, let your eyes be open and your ears attentive to the prayer of this place. And now arise, O oh Lord God, and go to your resting place 
You and the ark of your might, let your priests, O Lord God, be clothed with salvation and let your saints rejoice in your goodness. O Lord God, do not turn away the face of your anointed one. Remember your steadfast love for David, your servant. God is present. Okay, we're going to have to sail through the others. Psalm 33. I think we'll read this and stuff is going to jump out at you and we won't have to discuss very much, but I'll give you a chance to scream. Read the whole psalm. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with a lyre. Make melody to Him with a harp of ten strings. Sing to Him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all His work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of His mouth all their hosts. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fill the Lord, uh, fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. For He spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of His heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people whom He has chosen as His heritage. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of men, man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on the, all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. You see it? Okay. I know I'm the only crazy one in here, but I was reading this stuff and it's just like, whoa, it's everywhere. And finally, our final hope, Revelation 21, 1 through 8. This is the future presence of our king that will be in the future presence with him. This is incredible. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Who created that? God. Okay. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty 
I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have his heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Amen. You're dismissed.